Please be seated. Good morning. I'm Ed Satterfield, one of the associate pastors here at the church and excited to be able to study God's Word with you this morning. This is our third week in our Advent series, so we are, have been focusing on this uh, study of um, Let Heaven and Nature Sing as we've taken a hymn each week and reflected on that using uh, scripture texts that are part of the basis for that particular hymn. And it's been a wonderful season for us to focus as Advent is um, typical a time for, is to focus on our deep longings for what God would do to make things right, to bring wholeness and completeness, uh, to bring uh, the peace to our broken and damaged world. So this morning we're studying a little town of Bethlehem, and so I want to encourage you to take your hymnals and get them open to hymn number 88, because we'll be reflecting on this hymn a little bit as we study it, Uh, and then um, we'll sing it after the sermon, so you want to have that open for that too. But we'll be looking at Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 as well. You can find that in uh, your worship guide on page 9, or the Bible's in the pews. Micah chapter 5. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Ephratah, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. This is the word of the Lord. On Christmas Eve, 1865, Phillips Brooks traveled from the crowded, busy city of Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Pastor of Holy Trinity Church in Philadelphia during the Civil War, at this time he was burned out. His congregation had been decimated by death, by grief, and by disappointment. Discouragement after four, uh, five long years had drained the vitality his people, and the vitality of Philip's own heart. In May of 1865, he had preached the word of hope at Abraham Lincoln's uh, funeral service, and he was exhausted, and he wondered whether he had anything left to give to his people in his church. So he took a much-needed sabbatical, and he chose to go to the Holy Land for that time. On Christmas Eve, he spent time in the city of Bethlehem. And it was there uh, in one night that he was overwhelmed uh, with the profound irony that the King of glory, the Prince of peace, the Almighty God would come and enter earth in a small, insignificant town like Bethlehem. It was unnoticed, in silence and in quiet, Jesus came into the world, the one who would bring the remedy for all that we long for and all that we need. But it seems so much that it should should have been proclaimed loudly to all. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the means of true peace. The experience was so overwhelming that night 
uh, for Brooks that he uh, described that it would forever be singing in his soul. So he returned to ministry and strengthened uh, by that experience or that time away. Uh, And within a year, his church was overflowing and he had started a Sunday school and there were a thousand children in the Sunday school within one year. So few of us probably are familiar with his rejuvenated preaching, but most of you probably didn't even know his name, uh, but you know the hymn because it's a little town of Bethlehem that he penned. And he penned it a few years later for his Sunday school class. Brooks captured the amazing message that we want to spend some time on today, that God's solution to our decimated world and our broken individual lives comes in a quiet, unexpected place. But he is our hope. He is our peace. This morning, we want to seek to long for Jesus, the Prince of Peace, more deeply than ever before. We want to explore his coming from these three different angles. First, we want to reflect on our deep longing for peace. Secondly, we want to explore how Jesus comes in quiet, unexpected ways. And third, we want to study how Jesus is our peace. So first, We have all a deep, deep longing for peace. We've used these ancient texts from the Old Testament as we're using Micah today uh, to have the experience of the people of God many, many years ago lead us into the same kind of experience uh, that we experience today. So Micah in in this passage is uh, writing at a time where there's much, much groaning. He is writing at a time, if you see verse 1 here, it it describes a time of siege. The Assyrian nation has uh, brought siege to be around the city of Jerusalem. And if you know anything about the Assyrians, they're not the greatest uh, nation to be besieged by because their method was to pretty much destroy, kill, burn, and decimate the city and the surrounding area and cart off many people into slavery in exile back in Assyria. And they would deposit their own people in the land. And so if you were left, you were either impoverished and or oppressed. So just let's think about the experience of being besieged. Every day you wondered, would this be the day that they break through, that the end comes, that I meet my death, that my family might meet their death, that we might be carted off into exile and be in a position of being oppressed. Food was hard to find, and if there was some to find, it would be too uh, expensive to purchase. People were looking out for themselves. Leaders were looking out for themselves. Uh, No one was sharing resources. Every day was filled with dark expectation. Could this be the day that the end comes? They were feeling hopeless, feeling the darkness uh, ahead of them. Well, Phillips was in the same place in 1865. Again, think about the experience that he had had in that Civil War era. Year after year, his church family experienced nothing but death after death after death. No one, no family was left untouched. The cumulative effect of that bloody conflict week after week, year after year, pretty soon the church was made up of pretty much nothing but widows and others who were grieving blow after blow with no end in sight. Every focus that a church would normally have had been sapped, drained uh, by the conflict and the damage that it had wreaked. 
It's kind of like the experience being sucked out, the life being sucked out of you like a Harry Potter encounter with a dementor. Brooks' hymn has the feeling of hopelessness. And so we read these phrases, this world of sin, uh, just a captivating, uh, comprehensive experience of the sinfulness and all the damage that it brings. Describes in stanza one the deep and dreamless sleep, almost this uh, place of being captured in a in a bad dream. Uh, we can't hear his coming, but we're filled with hopes and with fears. Our grief and our sense of hopelessness can be so dominant sometimes that we can't see anything else other than what we're experiencing. When our relationships are in a dark place, we can't imagine that they'd ever be in a place where they're positive again. With work situations that are negative or where things are just broken in the way that they're being managed, uh, we have little expectation that they could ever be better. Old patterns with parents or even new ones when uh, the onslaught of age hits leave us with little hope of improvement except to figure that things will deteriorate. But I want us to think beneath the discouragement, there's something that is uh, muted, but below there, there's something real. Uh, it's a longing for relief, a longing for remedy, a longing for the solution to those things that we're uh, grieving about, that we're uh, troubled by. If it were not there, we'd have no discouragement or no depression. It would just be the way things are. But under our hopelessness is a deep and profound longing for being whole, being made new, being made right, for healing, for restoration. What we've been encouraging you to do during this Advent season has been to be getting in touch with your deep longings, the things that you wish were different, the things that you wish in your own life were different, in your family, in your workplace, in your community, in this world, and to long for those things and to bring them to Jesus himself. Have you been doing it? If not, I hope to encourage you to take time even during this next week, which is sure to be pretty busy, uh, to connect with those things that you truly long for. Underneath our discouragements and our hopelessness is that deep longing. And this passage calls us to bring those cares and concerns to the Prince of Peace. So we all experience deep, deep longings. But secondly, Jesus comes in quiet, unexpected ways. Have you noticed how often Brooks in this hymn describes the way Jesus comes? He comes to little insignificant town of Bethlehem. And Brooks had experienced this pretty profoundly on Christmas Eve night. He had rented a horse, left in the afternoon, and traveled to Bethlehem. And he got there in the evening. And the contrast of the experience between leaving busy, bustling, active, the place things are happening, Jerusalem, to come to Bethlehem, which at that time and still is a small, insignificant little town, um, was profound. He was struck by the stunning contrast of this place where Jesus had come, unnoticed way in which the Savior, the King of Kings, the Almighty God, the Prince of Peace had come, the one who would meet all our hopes and fears, you'd, it just didn't match. You'd expect it to be a more prominent, more noticed, more attended to, a more prominent place. Yes, yet this is how the Savior comes to us. The amazing repetitive witness of Scripture is that that is how Jesus 
uh, often comes to us. He comes in quiet, unexpected ways. In this passage from Micah, uh, the, the place names that are mentioned for the place that Jesus would come, Bethlehem, Ephratah, are two terms. And uh, no one in Israel would miss the fact that Messiah was going to come from the line of David, be a descendant of David. No one would miss that fact, but many probably miss the fact that it was in Bethlehem and Ephratah that this, this king would come. The origins of David's life were from that place, and yet it was that place which would be the birthplace of the Messiah himself. In the Scriptures, we just finished reading through the book of Ruth and studying that. Uh, the women of the city prophesied over Ruth and Boaz, and they said this, "'May you achieve wealth in Ephratah and become famous in Bethlehem.'" And that, f- uh, pass- that prophecy was fulfilled uh, by the birth of their son, who would then be uh, in line for uh, the birth of David. Uh, Their great-grandson would be David, who would be born in that same place. David is selected as king, and he's described in Samuel as a person born of an Ephratite of Bethlehem in Judah. And Matthew then picks up in chapter 2 to quote this particular passage in Micah uh, to prove that that this was the Messiah who had been born, Jesus, because he came from that origin one who is divine as well as human. For the king to come in Bethlehem is somewhat stunning and perhaps was missed and unnoticed by many. Uh, But for uh, the person of of, uh, the descendant of David to be uh, the one who would be the the line through which uh, the Messiah would come was even more stunning. Normally, uh, the firstborn son is the one who carries the heritage and is the first one to be uh, the prominent uh, one who would pick up uh, any family line in its descendancy. And yet it was David who was not only the smallest, he was the youngest of his many brothers who was picked to be the king from whom this line would, would flow. And for Mary and Joseph uh, to be the parents, <clears throat> for Jesus to be born to an unwed teenage mother in a downtrodden nation, downtrodden nation, in one of its small towns, is not how anyone would expect the Savior of the world to come. Yet, this is how the Savior comes, quiet, in unexpected ways. Jesus' life follows this same pattern in so many ways. If you read through the Gospels, He did miraculous things, and yet what does He tell people to do? Don't tell anyone. Be quiet. He avoided the crowds again and again. Every time they wanted to make a big movement out of uh, what he had said and what he had done, he would have slipped out of their notice and refused to allow that crowd to take momentum. He lived simply. He demanded nothing for himself. He had no possessions. He had no home. When he called disciples to himself, he did so in private conversations, and he only called 12. He did not have any big A profound announcement of his grand scheme of salvation didn't proclaim, this is how I'm going to do it, this is how it's going to work. And yet, what did he do? His plan was something no one would expect, suffering, death, a cross, a criminal's death. And yet, Jesus connected deeply and profoundly with thousands and thousands, changing their lives forever. 
quietly, unexpectedly, the dear Christ enters in. Think of how Jesus has come and made his presence known in your own life. I've heard many of your stories, and um, for many of us, that has been exactly how Jesus has come, in small, quiet ways that he's met us. We often expect something dramatic and something profound to happen to show that he's real and true. But like Elijah, when he was uh, wearied after his contest with the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, he did not meet God in the wind or in the earthquake or in the fire, but he met God as a still, quiet voice, a gentle blowing. Sometimes we may miss the presence of God, the activity of God, because we're looking for the dramatic. We're looking for the expected. But know that Jesus shows up in unexpected ways. And I've heard this as I've heard your stories. God's answer to our prayers uh, may not have resulted in dramatic healing, but rather in a profound experience of his presence and his personal care for us. He did not always provide, he does not always provide answers for the climactic things uh, that he brings our way, but he has brought sometimes to us that peace that passes understanding. He's been our quiet rock, our refuge, and our strength. And we've seen him to meet us in those ways. But Jesus also works to bring uh, life to us in paradoxical ways. Remember that he tells us that if we're to find our life, it's found by losing it for his sake. We're called to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow him. And it's in that place that we find life, that we find our longings deeply met. Jesus comes in those quiet, unexpected ways, but surely and certainly he does come. And his presence is the very thing that we need. The question for us is, are we waiting for him? Are we looking to him? No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin where meek souls will receive him, the dear Christ enters in. He comes to us in unexpected, sometimes small ways. Third, we want to look and explore how Jesus is our peace. Brooks ends this hymn with a prayer, the fourth stanza, and he demonstrates what this Micah passage echoes in that the expectation, uh, the, the prayer is not for us to do something big, but it's for us to come uh, for, for the one who is the Prince of Peace, the one to, who has accomplished all that we need, that meets our deepest longings to come and be found in us, to be born in us. Micah puts it this way. He says, uh, it is this one who will be born who will shepherd his people in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the Lord his God. He will be our peace. And you know that this word peace means wholeness. It means flourishing. It means uh, the putting back together of that which is broken, making all things new and right as they were intended to be. And this hymn urges us to ask that dear Christ to enter in. Only Jesus is the one who brings the fullness of wholeness and shalom. It does not come through adopting Jesus' teachings and working really hard to try to live a right life. doesn't come by doing that with a bunch of people in a church, uh, working to put our lives together and do the right thing. It comes through a person and in a person. So we want to explore this a little bit. How is Jesus our peace? 
The first way that we know that Jesus has done this is that there's this double transfer that he works. As Jesus came into this world, he goes to the cross to take our sin and our debt, our brokenness, our diseases upon himself, uh, to pay our debt, uh, to satisfy God's justice, um, to take away sin and defeat it by his death on the cross, thereby giving us freedom from sin and forgiveness and good standing with God. The second aspect of that double transfer is that he gives us his perfect record. Jesus lived a perfect life, and he gives us his perfect righteousness as a gift. And this is experienced by our receiving that, not doing anything, but receiving that gift to ourselves. We receive the gift that he's paid our debt and so has taken sin away and has healed the broken places of our life. We receive the gift of a new life, of a new record, a new person. And it's amazing what the scriptures tell us. This only comes through union with Christ. Romans 6, as Paul tells us, is that we've, we were um, crucified with Christ, we died with him, we were buried with him, and when he rose, we rose with him. And so we're to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus because of our union with him by faith. It is through that connection with the one who is peace that we receive peace. It is the connection to the one who is right life, new life, that shalom, that flourished life, that we receive that flourished life. And Jesus wants to accomplish that reality in us today. He wants to bring new life to you this morning. Will you present your longings for that which is not right in you, those things that are broken in you, will you bring them to him and long for those things and place them at his feet and by faith receive that new life from him? That is what Jesus came to do. And it's only through connection with him that we receive it. There's a second aspect to what Jesus has done to bring shalom and peace, and that is a worldwide effect. Jesus, not human beings, not churches or governments can bring that wholeness and peace, but it's he himself who will usher in a reign of peace, who will make all things new, who will end death and end sin and end uh, those things that are broken in this world and will make all things new. But again, Jesus reigns now. He is the Prince of Peace now and wants to bring that wholeness to our world as well. He wants to bring righteousness, justice, wholeness, and peace. It's hard to see how he's doing it. It's a mystery to us in so many ways. And so we need to look hard at, again, this pattern that it sometimes comes in quiet and unexpected ways. Uh, I love that our um, children in this church are encouraged to look for God sightings, to look for ways in which God is at work, to bring re redemption, to bring healing, to bring wholeness, and to notice those ways in which he's showing up and he's doing that work of bringing peace and wholeness <coughs> to this world. The response to the one who comes quietly and expectedly to bring peace is what this hymn ends with. That last stanza says, A holy child of Bethlehem, descend on us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Oh, come to us. Abide with us. 
our Lord Emmanuel. Will that be our prayer this morning? Could be a first time to invite Jesus to be born in you this morning, to come to meet you at the places of the deepest longings that you have, and I strongly encourage you to take that step to trust him and to look to him to bring that wholeness and peace to your life. As we've been talking, he's not going to overwhelm you, uh, but will quietly and unexpectedly renew your spirit and your will, and you'll find him to be the one who begins to make you whole. All of us uh, need to continue to invite Jesus in, to be born in us in fresh ways. And as we pray in a moment, I want you to think about the ways in which you long for transformation in your own life, for wholeness uh, to be what you experience. I want you to think about ways that you want that for your family, that you long for that in your workplace, in this community, and in our world. And to ask, to pray, beseech the Lord, would you come, Lord? Would you be born in me? Would you be born in us today? So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do look to you for you are the one who is peace. You are the one who is wholeness. And it is through you alone and connection to you alone that we find that wholeness being uh, that which takes root in our own lives. So Lord, we come asking you to meet us, to bring new life in our own experience, in our families, in our workplaces, in our community and in our world. And so hear us now as we silently place our longings at your feet and wait for you to be the one who brings peace. Hear us now. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Amen.